oh, you'll meet me? And they look at us and they're friendly. And then whammo, they do it again. He said, after a certain period of time, you either don't let that friend come near you or you learn to contract your hands so much because it hurts that you don't open them anymore. So that when we begin to awaken, it's like our, our hand opening up. And it, it, it tends to be uncomfortable and painful until finally it kind of surrenders or offers itself to the openness. And so what would happen here would be if they came down through every level of attention announced by heaven and understood by humanity to be of heaven and then literally came down there through all these other forms of experience, then we go, I didn't know that. How do we cope with all of the people involved in all of those forms? From the Archangel Gabriel's announcement to the existence of the Father, to what the mother underwent, to what it was like for the son or the brother or the other siblings and everyone involved, all the way down into the hell worlds and back to the heavens again. So the theology isn't really lessened by it. It is when we try to make it all nice in a certain way. But if we try to make it water into wine and bring the quality of the embrace we would want if we were the 13-year-old girl or the neighbor who did something wrong, yet thinking they'll have to give her to me now because we've been together, but they didn't give me. See, then that, that's where the shadow begins. We form this huge gap. So we don't have a gap anymore. And how do we reconcile this holy family? And I would say what would happen is probably for most people, they'll go forward and then have an experience internally of something of the Christ or the Buddha or Mary well, they'll realize, oh, this is moving through the forests and the human race and the animals and the plants and the elements. And what am I to do? Who, who am I to be? What am I to do? Water into wine. Where did we learn that? We learned it from these beings, our forebears who are these beings. How do we honor them? We'll see what that looks like. I won't be stealing flowers anymore, though, to take to them. But the flowers of my heart and life are always with them, right? And will they be public figures? Or is the nature of this a private, quiet life that Juan lives in Argentina, or Mary, whose name is Bram, lives in the Southwest? We'll see. I'm going to tell a tale, and I might, won't really talk about it much, and he's... He just has his own quiet private life that he lives. But he was, I think, in middle school. And I think he was at a public school. But there was something going on where they said a prayer to Mary. And his mother said, as they said the prayer, when they'd call out Mary's name, he'd stand up. And then to go to the next part, he'd sit down. Maybe he was like seven or eight. And they'd go to the next thing of naming Mary, and he'd stand up. <laughs> next thing he'd sit down and uh, his father had a heart attack at um, hmm, age 45 maybe he was in Austin he walked into uh, the emergency room he didn't feel well uh, it's a St. David's Hospital in South Austin and he came into the threshold of the entry to the hospital and emergency room and he just fell to the ground his heart stopped his heart stopped I think it was just too hard what humanity was doing. And his name is David, and he, he just fell down in the doorway. And at the very moment, the head cardiologist was coming out to leave <laughs> and just knew exactly what to do and said to him, even another 30 seconds to a minute and a half, and you would have been gone. And didn't surprise David at all. He just <laughs> thought, oh, I'm not done. I, I'm here I am, you know. We're going to go on. And so I went over to their home the next day when David was home, and Bram had just stayed alert, alert, alert. And I came and sat with him. And he went and laid down on the couch and just fell asleep for like two hours. And his mother said, he never does that. I said, well, he's been vigilant watching over you. 
until there was an answer through this. That's Mary. That's Mary as a child. Not failing that pristine alignment with the divine. Will she, he be private this lifetime? Will there be some public need of her? I don't know. We'll see. She has one brother, an older brother, who's the reincarnation of St. Paul, and they and two other friends canoed the boundary waters up to the Arctic Ocean in northern Canada about two years ago. And I remember thinking, well, here we go. You know, they're just going right up the middle of the country in Canada to the sea in this extraordinary epic trip that they raised the resources for and went on. So, you know, to them, they're just them. But in our theologies, then, what will our nature of a sort of individual path of practice or prayer be as we go on and we resolve this movement forward? And then I personally would say you'll have the experience of this water into wine with something that will occur to you where you'll know what to do miraculously is the word we would use but it would be that you know the answer to help your child or your spouse or someone in a body of work you have okay so a story i've told many times is when john's mother was dying she had a, a stroke years ago she was 89 and this was in austin and we went to the hospital in the emergency room and the head of neurology came out and told john well you know it's good your mother can't feel anything but I could see her face, and I knew she was in pain. And I was aware, is it a pain that's showing from the loss of what she's going through? Is it physical? And I just sat down and took her hand, and I started talking to her, and you know, she'd start squeezing my hand back. So I was aware, she's conscious. You know, hearing is usually the last sense to go when a person's dying, and so you'll be told by Elizabeth Cooper Ross or Stephen and Andrea Levine, if you're with a person who's in a coma, talk to them. They, they often will come back and say, oh, I remember when you were telling me about Aunt Cynthia, you know, and how much I loved her, and, and you know, it was so great that you, that you knew I was there. You, you, you hadn't just started talking about me as if I wasn't in the room. And <clears throat> so I said to them, you know, she's in, she's in pain. And the doctor looked at John like, oh, my God, you've got one of those one of those women, you know. And I thought, okay, well, I'm going to get beaten up a little bit here. I have to do this so I don't embarrass John, but there's no way I'm going to not take care of his mother. And nor am I going to not appreciate the neurologist there. And so I said, you know, she can feel this. No, there's no way she's got this. So they're doctors, so they're talking. She's got this much of such and such, and there's no such. And I just stood and I asked her, Linnell, Linnell, if, there, if you can hear me, if, if you're in pain, is there a way that you can show that? And so she, her, her, she took my hand and she raised it up and went like this. <laughs> you know, not, not just like a little, I'm squeezing your hand, and which is what a weak person would do. It was like a, like this, you know? And I said, is it a lot of pain? And I said, I, you know, I love you, thank you. And we put her hand down. And the neurologist goes, oh, well, if the, if the injuries are in this area and it's stimulating the nervous system this way, she would be in horrific pain. Horrific pain, even with what we've given her. I thought, I, I knew there was a disturbance in the reverie of this woman in God. If we couldn't have done anything... Well, then I would have just sat with her in the emergency room all night and been with the suffering that way. So I just tell you a story like that because all of you have something where you go, my husband needs me, or I need to do this in the garden, or those sparrows are asking for the crumbs of my sandwich down at the park, and I'm going to give them to them. Or, you know, sparrows are always darling because they're so polite. They'll just come in and ask you have a little bit of extra food you're not eating there that would be appropriate for us and everywhere in the world there they are you know they're this perfection of bird and so that quality of you knowing the water into wine that's your history and you cultivating 
the, the, like the ripening, the aging of that wine until it becomes the kin of Jesus and Mary. And whomever the relatives of those people and all sacred people are. And then you start rendering a permission as we go to the future for other people to find the sacred way. Right? You, you stimulate that forward in how you meet another human being. It's just so beautiful. Yeah. So how about one more question, if there is, and then we'll have a little break. And, and I have one other point. Joseph, yes. You may have answered this already, Beth, but uh, I experience pain all the time from just this dissonance in the world today around mm -hmm. truth, the great split, and, and the big lie, and just that it's not stopping. And, yeah. And I don't know how to reconcile this division that's unfolding and it just, I find it so painful of, of people who believe this lie and it grows. And so there's a truth and there's a lie. Yeah. And like, what do we do with this? That is a great question. Uh, and it's an existential question. Okay, so every era has almost a philosophical nature of how to cope with surviving the era, right? I imagine for my great-grandfathers, it was coping with the coming of the Industrial Revolution, the automobile, the disenfranchisement of the farmer and the rural person. And so many things were gained, but those men would have grieved the ugliness of what they also saw and tried to warn people against. And so every era has something like this. So my own way of how I am with this, is so younger people will have a kind of often a nihilistic view of like, what's the point? Or... You know, is there a future, or how shall I be with anything? And I would go to it two ways. Uh, John came home one day from work about 10 years ago, and uh, 10 to 15 years ago, and all three of his kids were in adolescence, and they were giving us a fine time of it, let me tell you. And so it was wonderful, and also just, you know, the things one goes through. And he came in, and he just put his keys down and started talking about the youth of today are so impossible. You know, what shall this society do? What was the manner through it? And then he said, you know who that was? And I said, no, he goes, that was Aristotle. I think we'll be fine. <laughs> right? Like that all the eras have set a course adequate that we could find our way to a virtuous life. But then the second part is everyone has to do the work to find the virtuous life. And a lot of people right now were forming a critical mass of, well, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to be a really horrible person, and I'm going to be famous for it or rich for it, and I'm going to hurt other people willfully, and what do you think about that? And those people were doing two things. They were representing the challenges of the earth. You know how a child will act out when their mother or father is in pain? Part of it is the acting out of people of the friction the earth is itself is going through. You know, is the earth willing to do this with us? That's been existentially at the center of a lot of this. Are the elements willing to do what we're doing? They're not our possession. This is this idea like it all belongs to me, the human being. I go, well, none of this belongs to us. It's sort of more like we belong to that. And so this, this quality of the acting out people are doing, part of it's willful, and part of it was the stupidity that they were acting out the mood of what their Mother Earth was expressing. Like an unconscious flaring and hatred. And the, the Earth isn't hateful, but it's the, the sort of fieriness of what, what the Earth was going through. And the, the climate and uh, all the creatures of it screaming. So people were saying, I will use that screaming and manifest a tantrum where I become violent and really ugly. And did they know what they were doing? I personally think on some level, yes. There's an old idea in forms of psychology where when you're working with someone, you consider them responsible for everything they go through. Uh, Wilhelm Reich's work would do that. You'd say, you, your body doesn't lie to you, so you, the practitioner has you lie down and be very warm Often you're naked and you're on a blanket or you're, you're very warm and you're breathing and the practitioner is breathing with you and asks you, and then what happened as they take you through part of your history? And then they ask, and then what did you do? 
Then what did you do? And people will try to get around it. My mother did this. He did that. She didn't. I'm uncomfortable. I'm cold. I'm, and then they'll have you like lie on your side in a fetal position. Come back on your back with your feet up, your legs up, and your hands on your belly at your side. So you're breathing and you realize, I am powerless to inflict harm. I have to answer the practitioner. What did I do? Because people will do anything to not be responsible. That's where they went away in the first place. And so you call them forward and out of their breath and navel and life arises, oh, my, my path. And you, you, you set them toward healing. So that's what you do with the ugly person, the person who's really being ugly in their essential way of living right now. You, you wish for them that, and you don't carry them. You go beyond them, beside them, into virtue. Right? So for every Aristotle, there were a number of people that weren't so great. They're not really that interesting to me. We're still handling some of their debris, but we're, we're, we're pointed toward the stars. And they will try to get your attention to come to them so that your valuable life force and path become their object. Don't be anybody's object. Always go toward that. And then part of why you were upset is because that factor of humanity almost caused the human race to fall so badly that I don't see how we would have come back from it. We would have been in a, a sort of, um, you know, dystopian future that would be so ugly and so just horrific. And so the insult that that's what people would choose and think they had the right to inflict on everyone else and on all of life is just like a nightmare, and that people would somehow be, be knowingly doing this would, would cause you outrage, and that is a very saintly and appropriate emotion for you to have. And then you go, okay, we have these things in place, now what do Amy and I do so that we just set the course that as we go on, there is virtue present, okay? And then I have one more thing I want to teach this afternoon, but I want to give you a break, but it's an answer to how to do that next piece. This is a way to kind of be with things in, in a practice that I think is very helpful. So should we have a break for about 20 minutes or should we just carry on? We can carry on if you want. Carry on? Carry on? Okay, so in the, in the practice, what happens is what we tell in history is we tell the story of the temporal bodies of a famous person, right? We talk about someone and we praise them or we demonize them, but we study who they were, what they did, where they lived, what they owned. And then we try to understand what to do that might be harmonious and eternal through them, but by talking about the parts of them that live and die. The part of you that is water into wine isn't constructed like that. The part of you that's the water into wine is what is present in you after your temporal bodies are gone. Okay, I'm going to say this again because it's not how any of us really think. So, like in Joseph's question, there are millions of people who lived really good lives, deep and compelling virtuous lives. The, the Aborigines would say the song lines are there and that we could walk out in the outback and find our way to a waterhole or a certain oasis of, of plants or trees out of the sun if we knew how to listen and look for the song lines, which are the light and sound left by ancestors of where to go. Do we know the names of the ancestors? No, not usually. Do we know what their personalities were like? No their emotions. Now we can feel it, but we are tracing the past to the present of how the water into wine moved through them. And that's their identity. Okay, that's their identity. So when you come forward in the present moment, and you're going forward in space and time into eternity, what happens is, as you express 
what is like the light and sound of God through your life, then you leave that when you're gone. It's, it's here. It can't be taken away by anyone. And then you realize, you mean, that's who I am? I go, that's exactly who you are. When you live from that place now, someone's not going to kill you for that or try to beat you down for that. So you express it and realize, I have left that signature as I go into the days of the future, and that signature of me is part of the civilization of the whole planet. Okay, so that answer goes beyond any war. And then it's not Joseph as an individual, it's like it's everywhere. Okay, so for me, I'm like one person, but a lot is done through me. But very few people will know my name when I'm gone. But the map of the stars that's been set, it's like, you, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. Why? Because what we're calling that water into wine, it's, it's, it's existent in light and sound and creation everywhere. And so if somebody goes, well, who's Beth? You go, what do you say? This is my friend. Joseph's friend. But that place is the same in you as it is in me. So when anybody is upsetting for you, what I do is I go out and I just quietly say a prayer and I express a gesture on this level we're talking about. Just simple. For everyone everywhere into eternity. And it's just between God and me. And he answers me everywhere, in every single being, every time. And you and I get to be in that, and Amy, at your home. And it never fails. And that firmament is undisturbed, and there isn't a force in the universe that can harm it. Right? <coughs> so, if a child is here on the earth, it could be cedar, could be arrow, could be a baby. They can find their way anywhere on the planet because that map is completely intact for them. They don't have to know who you or I are, but it's there. So they will always know what to do if we teach them to follow virtue adequately that they can find their alignment in their heart. They will always be able to have an adequate map. And then if more people add to that water and to wine, that starts becoming a global civilization. So most of the people who were falling were having a tantrum. I don't have a yacht yet. Wait, I wanted to go to that place 15 more times before I was willing to awaken. Because if I start awakening, I might not have as much as that person or I might not be important. Whatever they thought was temporally important would come up and they would just rage through it, right? So the whole world was shaking with the rage of this chaos of greed and power. It was horrific. It still is. But the causation of it is done. This is a greater critical mass. If it was the other way, I had, a, I really, I had, I, I brought my pads of writing with me because I had an entirely different class constructed that up until about 16 days before the class, I thought I might have to teach if we were going to go too much that way. You know, and then I had a few days when I thought, whoa, am I going to even be able to get on an airplane? And then I had that movement with Hitler and Stalin and went, oh my God, it's going to be all right. Yeah. So, you know, this, this newborn st state of things with this newborn quality for humanity, you, you can each find your, your personal dreams or state in it, but that, that manner of that prayer and gesture, when you do this, you offer it for everything and everyone, and then you'll start seeing it rise up through certain leaders. Will there still be some of the ugliness and stuff out there? Oh, yeah. But is it where we're going? No, it's not. It's not the greater definition of the culture. And then certain factors will kind of collapse and fall apart. Others will come together and integrate. The place I think is the greatest suffering are there are a lot of people caught in between. 
you know, people who are losing their businesses or homes or they're kind of almost at the beginning of what would have happened had there been a big war. Their parts of their societal structure are not were not in place for them. And sometimes some of them didn't do their own homework, you know. I'll be with somebody who's um, owns a house and they own a small house that they bought when they first, uh, you know, uh, is the first little place they owned and they were able to buy that and then they were able to keep it and rent it out and buy another very moderate home. This would be a family with two or three kids and a very moderate, moderate income. And so when the pandemic hit, they weren't allowed to charge rent for the house they rent out, but they both work, but the people in their rental house don't. So for almost two years, the people in the house haven't paid rent and haven't left, haven't offered to help with anything. And so two exhausted people who said, we just thought we'd keep that first little house and rent it out, are being mistreated through their attempt to be helpful in society. There are huge amounts of things that go on, like arguments of um, inappropriate lack of ethics. Right? So we have so many things in society that are people truly who've lost a great deal and other people playing systems in a way that's not correct. And that aspect of what I call debris, people have to work that out, but you do not want to carry that. It's like, this is the homework of, of the human race right now, all over the world, all over the world. So I would spend your time looking toward the idea of eternity and what the physicists and mystics were seeing as the importance of time. They would recognize that when you look at something and you give it your energy, you build a relationship with it. So in your relationships with anyone or anything, let that water into wine answer you. So you're calling forward, may the divine act through that person, that circumstance, that property of nature, and myself, and then see how it meets. And then you're constantly going out to eternity and the future and you're coming forward in ritual, in ceremony, in prayer, in virtue, in your breath, in your life. And then as that takes shape, you'll come to have experiences where you'll feel that the ordinariness of your life is good and solid and you're part of the instrument of building a global civilization. Do you think of yourself as being universally important? Probably not. You might. With me, I simply find it a humble way to be an example for another person, whether it's my sibling or my friends or John's children. It's like I simply set the course of that, that prayer and practice. And then because of the states I live in, I'm just aware that I'll feel it at times around the whole world. But that's not singular to me. That would be equal in you to me whenever you do it. So you'll just know you have a sister beside you practicing when you do that. So when anybody breaks your heart or is vicious, realize they're trying to call my attention to their destruction, but my attention is going toward eternity coming through the future to meet me. Right? And then we're studying the nature of that essence rather than studying a saint where we would look at what did he do and what did she do. So we don't usually study their essence. And so people now are going, I want to do something where I'd kill that saint and I'd beat that one up and I'd have everything because they're in a stupor of not paying attention to the essence of anything. So you go to the essence and then they, they will be wanting to go with you because that's where the force of heaven is going. Eventually, someone will go, I want to go where Joseph is going. Whether they ever recognize you exist or not, it doesn't really matter. And then you'll start seeing moments of experience of that kind of a nectar. It's like a nectar-like quality. And then it'll feel very ordinary. If it didn't, you'd become so charismatic, you or myself or someone, where there's no charisma. It's just everywhere but... Who is that ordinary woman? What's she doing here? It's just me, walking with my cane. Nice to see you, what a day.
we need to do rain, it's beautiful. And then they'll, then they'll either have a judgment of me or they'll accept me or I'm nothing. But the meeting in eternity with it coming back to them and me, you just don't leave that. So they may never know that it's you, but something in them is like being given the transmission like that light, right? And then at a certain point, when it's time for them to turn in the emergency room or at home or with a grandchild or an elder or just goodness, the alignment in them will make a shift, like a homeopathic or a chiropractic adjustment, and they will simply enact virtue. And rather than their attention being on their temporal bodies, it will be that eternal part moving through them, and they click in at least for a moment to like a global civilization. Right, they, they, they turn the key just a little bit toward that. Yeah. And then we start working with past, present, and future coming together. And I would say great souls of this coming generation coming into place and showing us part of the next step. They'll have a, just the way Tesla had an understanding or Hildegard von Bingen had a certain understanding there'll be people who will arise where they have a certain understanding that goes out into circumstances for all of humanity. So they're not in our generation, they would be in the next generation. Th this would be our work, then that would be their work. And if it had gone the other way, they would have been veiled. So as a protective man, you would have been outraged the last few years. How dare these people do this? Do they have any understanding of the harm they're beginning to cause? And a lot of people enjoyed the power they thought they had when they caused harm. They, they enjoyed the cruelty, which is always hard to be with. And so for me, I, I didn't let them stay in it. Like, I'm not going to fight you, but you're not going to win this one over the universe. And if it were going to be a time where it had to fall, you, w you would have known, I need to let this go and be outraged, but, but I'm heartbroken and it's failing. You would have, it would have been a sorrow that you could hardly have borne. Yeah. So, yeah, so that light that's present now, it'll be, it'll just be a constant. Uh, and then you'll feel it ebb and flow in you. And that, that quality of what I call the sound of this era and then you can add to that gesture of prayer and ceremony the ways that you would like to see an artistry be in the civilization. Okay. And then you go from eternity back to now and realize, I didn't only bring my signature to it, I brought an artistry to it, like a gift back to God. This is my gift back to God. And when you do that, it's a gift you're bringing to every single human being that I can't do and someone else can't do. And then <clears throat> your, your quality of that bouquet of grace you represent, it's like the bouquet and the vase together become a saint or a sage. They, they're, they're brought back into the divine. God accepts them back or embraces them back into himself or herself or itself, and you begin this relationship, that's why you were created. So you want to bring that signature of beauty into, you know, what you do with these, these aspects of your life. And then you may be remembered, if you're, if you're known at all personally, a person out there in time and space would feel this quality of water into wine through you, and they would feel a flickering of that which can be created and sustained and absorbed. Like, what is that? And it would be partly because of you, like the embellishments on a house or a painting or a song or anything. And it would be partly partly your signature of that song of God. I, I think that that, um, that would let you, when you're no longer alive, you know, be present with the universe and be able to perceive that there's the oceanic quality that you've participated in and there also is the nuance of how it was done through you as the human being. 
right? That, that would be infinitely beautiful for you to give that gift back to the world. Yeah. <coughs> yeah. Your body also will feel your temporal bodies that is eternity is is from the future back to us. You'll realize my body is willing to live in a noble way for whatever length of years it has when it is um, being treated like this transparent vase that can willingly do something that is like an offering to something larger. The, the incarnation is very happy living for that sake in which it will or won't be remembered rather than when we do things going, don't you know who I am? Aren't I the opaque face? that's known in history as something powerful. So it's a certain offering or opening up. And um, in that comes a lot of the miraculous movement. It's hard to describe it, but the question you had, Sarlov, you, you, like when I talked about what I went through with Linnell, how did I know what she felt? How could I not feel it? I could feel it. So people will come into a situation and be uncertain. What should I do with my grandson? And when you come into this point of etern of time, eternity back to the present, you'll realize the open part of my heart and soul knows what to do with my grandson. Now, how do I bring that through my temporal bodies so that as they open, they're vulnerable, but they're not afraid of being hurt. It's more important that they are touched by God through every person and my grandchild and myself. So the people in the emergency room didn't disturb me, nor was I negating of them. I was respectful of them. There were three or four residents with the, with the, uh, with the head of neurology. I was aware of behaving with them as people were trying to um, dominate and kind of annihilate my temporal body. Oh my God, there's this woman here. She knows nothing about medicine. As it were, not in the ways you all know it. It's a, it's a conversation of eternity, and then you have no soldiers be there. You're there in a flow of grace, and then you negotiate a harmonic among you as human beings. And then you'll realize, I've called the water into wine in everyone here, including myself. So it takes, I would say it takes courage to do that. It takes strength to do that. But if you don't do it, you'll be unhappy. They'll go, oh, I missed that one. They were all on the chessboard, and I wasn't, but I couldn't quite, you know, I didn't have the um, quality of being willing to quite open up to them. I go, but, but one must open up to them now, because that's how you're going to find your own path. And then when you need a break from it, step away from it, come back into it. But don't let it shut you down again. Not you, but I mean just any of us. So isn't it interesting how that makes sense, but it's not the way we think of the world. So a lot of our young people are kind of aware of this, but they've not been taught a languaging of how to do this. So, you know, I can turn to a young person and say, well, how would you do this? And they'll kind of hesitate for a minute. Like, how, what do they have to protect themselves from? And I'll ask them, well, what would you do with this? How would you do this? You know, you're going to go out way in long in time after I do here. So if eternity came to meet you, what would you like to do between now when you're an old man or woman? Or an old person? And they, they let it rise up in them. And then I could tell them, you don't have to answer me, but I want you to do that. It's like you're just calling <laughs> something alive in them. That's, that's right there, that's available to them. Yeah. And then as this goes on, you'll probably feel uh, on high mental levels some of the beings around the world who work in these ways where it's happening through them, like transmissions are happening through them. I, I used Thich Nhat Hanh a couple of times as an example because he's such a trusted being. So he's in his mid to late 90s now. He had a very serious stroke a few years ago. 
And yet he's unchanged in the soul, in the heart, in the breathing, in the practice. So if you took the ten greatest souls on the earth right now, he's one of them. His wheelchair, breathing, practicing. So like the flowers of God are just passing through him every breath. Undisturbed. Undisturbed. So for 40 years he was told, if you come back to Vietnam you'll be killed. If we can't stop that, we'll kill all your students. That's what stopped him from going back. We'll kill your family and your students if you come back. So he left thinking he was going to do a semester at Columbia University in 1968. He never went home because he wasn't allowed. He was enraged and then angry and then despondent and then sad and yet practicing. He was impoverished. He was malnourished. He went through all kinds of things and he just kept... He just kept going. And then he learned a rare ability to be present with the aspect of heaven always answering him. And he would form little gattas, little brief statements of sort of conceptualizing thought and words so that he could be at a red light and breathe and say, oh, red light, uh, as red as a flower, I am breathing. Oh, red light, as red as a flower, I am breathing. Right. I am monk and walking in my garden in gratitude. You breathe in and out. And he was able to take his brilliant mind and let it go into being the transparent vase rather than identifying with being the great scholar. And right, He just would let it go into the simplicity and the openness. And then he he would often be um, not included at big global conferences and he would be excluded from many other Buddhist events. Uh, it used to break his heart and then he made peace with it and he just became so beloved um, as this Tian or Zen Buddhist monk from Vietnam that he is. And then Blaine and I came back from a conference in India years ago, this year I've been to a conference and for $29 we could stop in Vietnam. And I said, well, if we could stop in Vietnam, we could go to about five of the places that Thai's not allowed to go. And I think that would be a great way to bring through ceremony and gesture what Joseph is talking about. We'll just embody that for him. And so we did. And then the next time I saw him, I could feel in Vietnam what I'm talking about with the future, eternity in the future and the present. And I could feel, oh, he'll be back there in this body. So I, I told him that. And Sister Fong said to me, Elizabeth, are you crazy? There's no way they'll let him come back to Vietnam. I said, Sister Fong, you mark my words, in this incarnation, they will bring him back. Am I right? And it's not about that. I just knew this was answering Thai, not me. This was the water into wine for him. And then several years later, they contacted him and they wanted him to come back. And he came in and they brought him flowers and they met him and they took him around places. And we didn't get to be there. It wasn't about uh, any of us here, but it was about everyone, the whole human race, right? All the flowers that will ever be, all the sunflowers he would walk through in France, right? That blessed man. And so, you know, he he was allowed back into the country, and then when after he had his stroke and recovered enough here in the United States, they treated him. He was able to move back to the old monastery he left when he was fourteen. And his abbot is a young boy who just boy man who graduated from high school this year in uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico, Jesse, who I met, I thought of him as the main person for this course when I was putting it together. I met him, uh, I, I knew of his mother uh, before the father and mother got married. She's from China. The father is a man who's of several different ethnic groups, Cochi de Pueblo, uh, Converso, Native, Amer Native New Mexican, Hispanic, and um, Caucasian, so he's a mixture. 
of, of several very deep traditions. And when Jesse was born to them, I, I told them before he came who was coming. This is Thich Nhat Hanh's teacher. I, I wrote to Ty about it. Your teacher's coming. He's taking a birth here. And I met him when he was in middle school. And he had been at school and then a basketball workout and a violin lesson. And then he came for dinner with his parents and me. And when he met me, he this is a very private for him, but I, it, it behooves me to talk of it because of his deep honor. He put his head down and put his hand in his heart and apologized for his tears and said, I'm sorry, I don't cry often. It's just that it must mean so much to me for you to recognize me. And then I got to sit with like a 90-year-old revered holy man who was a fifth grader. The student got to sit with the teacher who was the abbot of Thich Nhat Hanh. It was one of the greatest honors of my life to sit with him. You know, I'd been beaten to a pulp getting him back down here on the earth, like, oh my God, you know? And being very upset with humanity many steps of the way. Here he is. So we just sent him a watch for his graduation. Where is he going to college? He's going to St. Louis. He has a track scholarship. He's a runner. Who lives in St. Louis? The reincarnation of the Buddha, whose name is Jeffrey, who's entering high school. So as of a month from now, those two boys becoming men are living in the same city in the middle of the United States. <laughs> you, you could never choreograph these things if you tried. So I've said to John and Blaine, I wonder what's going to happen through the two of them now. If we had the Buddha and this abbot who trained Thai, what are they doing now? Well, this class, for one, having a great time as young men, being raised by their families, running and then from eternity back through t the future to time we have water into wine in them right and joseph gets to be a godfather to them so to speak in amy's garden okay? and so we all are at their feet so I, I, you, you can feel that and i go well will they be public teachers or will it just be the essence of the water into wine through the vessels of what they are, who they are? So if we hold eternity and bring it to the present and we face who we are to be and what we are to do, and we do it for those two young men and all the young women and all the young people who identify in any form, so their identifications become transparent and they can hold who they are in, a, in, in, in the vessels of the human beings there, but in that larger, more inclusive, you know, sort of eternal way, I, we will always know what to do. And then each one of us has to have the willingness and the courage and the graceful love to do that, to just embody that. Well, good. Well, I think we can have a meditation and, and close for the day. But you feel the satisfaction at the, at the feet, so to speak, of those two young men? You, you know, we're sitting with two, two Buddhas who are right now in New Mexico and in St. Louis, but soon to be in the same city. And so the state of that critical mass and the fact that when they do something, it's for the whole human race. Yet it's just the two, it's just the two young men. You know, and Sarla, and Ronald, and your children, and your grandchildren, and me, and Alice, and you. It's like, it just goes into, it's only you, and yet it's everything. And then when you meet someone, they may try to have a context of, well, who are you? What do you do? Where do you live? What do you own? Oh, that's a nice neighborhood. Oh, it's okay. Uh, we like it better over here. And you go, that's good. Great. Good bully for you, you know? You go, here we are. Todd would say, Buddha's to be. Buddha's to be. That's how he liked his... He, he probably did that because people would upset him so much. He would think, well, when my mind gets irritated, I will bow to you, a Buddha to be. A Buddha to be. 
Because when he would get upset with himself, he would think, I miss, I miss thought with too much anger. Well, I'm a Buddha to be. A Buddha to be. Right? So when you're hard on yourself, I've told this story how when he was younger and when I first met him, he would talk about his anger. He would get so angry. And he wrote a beautiful poem that's quite famous you can find out there where he would hold his face in his hands. Literally hold his face so that he could bear his anger and try to transform it into, into grace. And then as he got older, he did not have to physically do that. He could do it with the gatas, the little mental phrases, and with ritualistic practices that were beautiful and ennobling. And then he just prayed and practiced that for so many years. So seeing a picture of Jesse run made me so happy. You know, the Abbott with the Track Scholarship. Tall, slender body running. Yeah, wonderful mother, profound father. So whenever you don't know what to do, rather than saying, from my past to the present, what do I do next? I go, turn in the other direction. Well, to eternity, the future coming back to me, what do I do? And you'll realize a lot of your defenses, your arguments, and any negative patterns you have will tend to start to break apart, and you need to be courageous enough to be resilient. Okay, you, you, we need to teach our children to be resilient in a tough world, but not armored, resilient, courageous, virtuous, so that, that turning toward the future back to the present will allow you to embody that for yourself or with them. And then that quality of allowing God or heaven to turn your life from that water into wine. Just do that over and over so that your internal state of grace within God is just like a, like a flowing spring and you, you cultivate that. This is a perfect time in these next few years for you to do that. And then I think by September, October, the transmissions of the Jesus child will, be, will have begun. He's turning 13, so... Um, I, I've said over the last few years, he's coming to the age where he would have been presented at the temple. So the movements of consciousness through him would be beginning. They're, they've they started being very evident maybe in February, March, April. So by September, October, they're just moving through him. Again, will he be pr private, known? But the qualities of the miraculous and the ordinariness of life itself will just be moving through him, through his mother, Sylvia, through his grandmother, through his siblings. Yeah. And then we'll see how we name philosophies or name religions. But it does behoove us to have respectful practices. The one word I think is missing in our culture is respect. And if we can come back to that, I think we can bring ourselves a very beautiful, beautiful path. Yeah. Well, let's do our meditation and um, 